welcome to Niche Reacts. I'm your host, Emmy McDonald, here with my co-host, Alex Martin. Oh, from Cincinnati. From Cincinnati. <laughs> Sorry if my quality is worse. I only have my wired Apple Oh, I thought headphones. you were just going to blame it on Cincinnati. <laughs> it's just so Ohio's fault. <laughs> Sorry if I'm worse. I'm in Ohio. <laughs> Could have been on a t-shirt Sorry. for all of college. <laughs> Sorry if I'm worse. I'm in Ohio. <laughs> Alex and I uh, will famously take any excuse to throw the entire Buckeye State under the bus. Yeah. We were out at a brewery and I had like had a couple beers and I was just like, this place sucks. And all these people said. And I was just like talking about Joey B. Um and everyone's head was just like on a swivel. I don't remember what I said, but I was like, I can tell I've just offended every single person at this bar. Um, not that I am I, I am not uh really in any way a fan of Dave Portnoy or much that he does um other than his unwavering support of Taylor Swift obviously mm-hmm. uh yeah. but did you hear that he's yeah class action <laughs> <The bet>. lawsuit <laughs> no. he, is, he tweeted and I was like maybe he's joking and my brother was like there's no way he's actually gonna do this shit he's suing the Bengals and the NFL in as part of a class action lawsuit because they didn't have Joey B on the injury report before that game. And like, there was a video of him wearing a brace and stuff. Like he yeah. definitely, that wrist was not in good shape before that game. Uh, and he bet like a hundred thousand dollars on the, yeah. on the Bengals for that game. And he was like, wouldn't have done that if Joey B had been on the injury report. So he's <laughs> putting together a class. Well, it's just one of those things they, where it's like you're like, man, everything really is so unserious. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, I will say though, I don't know if they're actually going to end up investigating it, but the NFL is going to investigate that because that can have you can have your like draft pick revoked yeah. and be like, you know, I all mean, of that. it's we'll see. it's you know. it's giving Miami Dolphins and Tua last year. It's it's giving yeah. it's giving Mike McDaniel, which we unequivocally hate all the time. Somebody tried to defend that to me recently and was like, oh, well, like, he's not the one that makes those decisions, blah, 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 GM, you know, what? and I was like, I literally, I, like, I couldn't, first of all, I'm going to blame him for everything always. All the you time wear sunglasses night. like that? You wear your vending machine Rolex, like, I can't with you. But also, like, have a backbone. Like, if the GM is like, he's going to play, stand up for your players. Yeah. I think this could not be further from the topic we're that we're about, about to discuss. <laughs> uh, I uh, I'm, I'm in a house of Steeler fans, though. Well, even though I'm in Cincinnati, and they just fired Matt Canada, ooh. so we got we got some new energy. But it's Thanksgiving week, so go loins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm riding so hard for the Detroit. Always got to root for the Lions. Harden, Pete's like. Maybe you shouldn't because you were like, I'm going to be a Suns fan and they have not. And they've fallen apart. Yeah. So, or, you know, they just like haven't had that, you know, won a championship. And it was like, pretty much it was like, oh, they're probably going to win. I've become a fan. Not on the guards. I was like, you're right. Maybe I should. Yeah. And we were, we were headed back from the game a couple weeks ago uh, from watching it in a bar. And all of a sudden the bills almost turned it around while Alex and I were in the car getting updates from Pete in the backseat <laughs> yeah. being like, okay, Josh Allen, 20 yards. Like, And then, and then we both got home and turned the game on and they lost. So did you see Zach Wilson fall backwards? <laughs> 
<laughs> that's just his entire NFL career. <laughs> so. I was saying to my dad that it's like Zach Wilson, like when this, like the snap happens and it is like, he forgets where he is. Like he fully dissociate. He has negative amounts of pocket presence and he just like, it looks like there is no thoughts behind his eyes. Like he just, the snap happens and he just goes, Oh shit. And that's it. Did you see that meme of Danny dimes? Uh, like, like looking, his eyes are like moving back and forth really fast. He like looks scared as he's like reading the Niners defense. He just looks afraid. I was like, I'd be scared too. Yeah, correct response. Like lizard brain Uh, level, correct response. Um, did you see the thing about? Okay, we're we're five minutes in. We've talked about nothing. We're talking about today. Did you (laughs) see that Tommy DeVito, the quarterback for the Giants, still lives with his mom? (laughs) Yeah, and, and they talked about it on New Heights, and it was like you know his mom makes his bed, his mom uh, does his laundry, she makes him his dinner, and <laughs> Travis Kelsey was like, I mean, I'm gonna be honest, like I heard that, and it it doesn't sound like a Giants quarterback as much as it sounds like a Jets quarterback. <laughs> yeah, that really got J E T S Jets Jets Jets. <laughs> uh, uh, so that's football corner. That's not what we're talking yeah. about today. Uh, Mm-hmm. go lions though um always oh, always yeah. rooting for the detroit lions our, happy thanksgiving go our lions. brothers in suffering um yeah speaking of suffering <laughs> we're here today to talk about <laughs> the mike flanagan uh universe uh the Fl- flaniverse flanaganverse yeah i think that's what people call it i have a hard time saying that flanaganverse um so if you are a fan of horror or spooky season or just generally have been in and around Netflix in the past several years, um, I just realized my microphone is completely pointing away from me. Um, <laughs> metaphor? Uh, so you may be familiar with Mike Flanagan's work. He is perhaps best known for uh, The Haunting of Hill House, um, which we talked about a little bit on our Shirley Jackson episode. Um, But since then, he's kind of created this roving universe of uh, long-form, you know, horror series um, on Netflix. He's also, we're going to talk a little bit about some of his films, um, some of which sort of feel like the general aesthetic that he's developed and some of which don't as much. Um, But he's made a lot of content and has kind of become one of the, I would say, premier horror auteurs of the 2020s. Um, That man is churning them out. He is. He no longer has a deal with Netflix. Really? Um, I think he's going to be on Prime. He like moved over. Um, Because I want to go rewatch Hush and it's just nowhere. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I I didn't look too hard. I'm sure someone could find it on like YouTube, whatever. But I was just like, oh, it's not on any of my streaming. So it's nowhere. Netflix fumbles the bag once again. I mean, I feel like that's one of the things I stay on Netflix for is because it's like we're going to get the annual (laughs) flana drop. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm just going to put the pretext of his name on everything we say today. Um. Yeah, I didn't like it either. It felt it felt bad as it came out. Um, but yeah, like I I love. I mean, at this point, it it now is kind of like an annual thing that we get, like a Halloween season Mike Flanagan TV show drop. And 
I love his stuff and, you know, get very, very uh, invested in it. So um glad to see the writer strike taught them next to nothing. So, yeah, I think it's prime. Um, that's what uh, Pete's sister and her fiance said. So I'm not sure if that's actually true. I did not fact check. Um, but he does have like a project that's that's upcoming. Which we'll talk a little bit about um, at the end of this episode, but he'll be back soon. Easter egg. Easter egg. Easter egg. <laughs> um, it's also creepy. It's a creepy. It's a creepy thing to whisper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it sure is. You bet. Um, so on that note, right. should we get should into we it? get into it? Let's. All right. Yeah, I thought we could start with the movies because all the movies came first before Haunting of Hill House. Um, And I, you know, there was a few from like pretty early in his career, like Oculus. I think that was like 2013. I want to say I saw that. I didn't know he made that. Way back in the day. That movie was, I mean, it was definitely like a, you know, a movie theater horror movie of that time you know to kind of fit into that genre but i remember i saw that with my sister and it was genuinely fucking creepy oh it's scary called before i wake but i think that was 2016 as well um my research but i don't think it had uh like the kind of commercial success that some of the other ones did so i want to talk about hush Mm. gerald's game (laughs) And Doctor Sleep, um, and maybe just in chronological order. Start yeah, with Hush. Let's do it. Um, so, if you're unfamiliar, Hush, I think it it really interestingly sits between like Home Invasion and Slasher. Yeah. Um, so it's about a a woman who is deaf who's trying to finish her novel, which fun fact is called Midnight Mass. <gasps> Actual. I Easter. learned that. I learned that from the Evolution of Horror podcast about um hush and gerald's ah. game and i guess he kind of was like i never imagined i would be able to make midnight mass it's like his passion project right. and she's like so at least i'll put it you know in here somehow yeah. so at least like has some time on on screen the passion um, project is always just latent catholic guilt isn't it yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> but she was trying to finish her her novel and she has met or you know then there's an intruder yeah trying to hunt her down that was a horrible no that's that's <laughs> pretty much it um it stars yeah. kate siegel who i don't know if they were i don't think they were together at the time um but she i'm not sure she also helped write it she I is his now wife um she's in mm-hmm. a lot of his work she's very talented um she's talked a bit about how when she started acting she was kind of told that her reactions to things were too big um and she found her way into horror in part because like the stakes were so high that the big reactions were justified. Um, and so now she's kind of carved out her own little space in the horror genre. Um, this movie is like, it's not even creepy. It's like, it's the kind of scary movie that like afterward you're like closing all your blinds and like maybe yes. sleeping with your lights on. Like this movie, especially I think as a woman is very, very scary. Like I would love to like live alone out in the country. And you know, this movie was the reason that I couldn't do it because it like this movie scares the crap out of me. 
It's so tense. It's so tense. And it's and, it, and yeah. there's so much that plays on obviously, you know, like the fact that she is deaf and so she's kind of working in this situation against that that she's like she's down a a part of her sensory experience that would help her to like you know like she can't hear when he's coming up behind her kind of thing which is also just so scary and then there are kind of ways that she like you know sort of flips that to her advantage because you know she's she's got other things that she is you know more capable of doing because she's learned to you know sort of lean into them um because of her hearing loss but it's so like it takes away the unreality of being like why don't you hear him coming up behind you because you're just like jesus fuck like and it's yeah it's not like a necessarily like a new story but like a new Mm -hmm. twist on it and it does just elevate like that scene where the neighbor (gasps) gets killed like just right on the porch and she can't hear it's so scary and i Pulled a quote from an old like Guardian review of this, and it was like Flanagan doesn't hold back on the gore, but he doesn't rely on it either. And I think that's something that'll comes to mark. Well, maybe except for one (laughs) one specific example, but which we'll talk about. But I think that is I think the only element of Hush to me that it to me Hush sits far kind of like far to the left. Yeah of the rest of his work but i think that element of it kind of like bleeds through the rest um yeah it he i think he uses it like sparingly um and really when like only when it is meant to punctuate something it's not like it's not just gore for gore's sake um which is i think a leaning that I appreciate, you know, is like, you know, I mean, um, you can always go back and read my, my plea for more gore on TV. Um, (laughs) but you know, it's like when it should be there, it's there, but it's not extraneous or, uh, kind of incidental in any way. It's only like when it really makes sense. Um, and when it adds to that sort of like growing feeling of unease and fear right. and yeah, this is like one of those movies though that, I mean, you just, it it's so much, there are movies that you see that you're scared while you're watching it and then you leave and you're like, you forget about it, you know, and it's fine. Yeah. Um, and this, I feel like the stakes are so real and the fear is so real that it's just like, this is a movie I'm never going to forget. <laughs> like. No. And doesn't he have a bow and arrow? Yes. Is that the... Yes. I... Something about that, like, really freaks yeah, me out. It's, it's, uh, it's so fucked they, up. It's in, like the hunting your next, thing of it. Yeah. yeah for, there's... Uh, the people have uh, crossbows. Um, yeah. I don't know. Something about that really freaks well, me out. Well, and it's also, like, because it's... It's somehow... Like, it's not necessarily going to be fatal in one blow the way right. that like a gun could be, you know? Um, so it adds this like level of like, per- like it's, it makes it more personal. And then there's the fact that it feels like you're hunting people and it feels like you're trying to inflict pain because yeah. it's kind of like, if somebody's got a crossbow, you're going to be slung through with arrows. Like you are going to suffer, um, which is horrible. Yeah. Yeah.
were with the main character you couldn't it was very quiet Mm -hmm. you couldn't hear the way it like kind of moved in and out of like the sound or the audio um yeah it kind of goes in between like immersing you in her world and then giving you like this is what you would hear happening though like this is what you know that she doesn't know right it's it's that Mm -hmm. sort of um building of suspense where it's like it's not just what you don't know it's what you know that she doesn't you know it's the dramatic irony of it um and i do think that there are sort of some hints of like his what would eventually become his aesthetic leanings like there's a lot of like very particularly lit shots there's a huge portion of it that happens in the dark um because she is able to navigate in the dark better uh, be you know because she's she's able to rely exclusively on her eyesight, um, and so you know there are parts of this that are all kind of like a wash in this like blue light of nighttime thing, um, but you can tell that he's developing his sensibility and that it's not yeah. you know fully formed yet. For sure, and I think this is maybe the only work today that we are going to talk about that is not an adaptation. Is that correct? correct? Okay. Or Midnight Mass. Oh, right. Midnight Mass is the original. But everything else that he's done since has really... And using the word adaptation loosely, because sometimes it's more of an inspiration, jumping off point, use of the title, (laughs) but... I do, and this kind of leads us nicely into Gerald's Game and Doctor Sleep, Two King... Uh, works that he's adapted for for film but i kind of think he's like a master at adaptation yeah he's so good at at taking the elements that matter the most to the story and expanding upon them and i'm not someone who thinks a movie owes the book like it needs to be a a replica of the book that it needs to be identical um and he's really good about you know and also modernizing certain elements and like I know with Dr. Sleep, like a lot of people said that was like unadaptable. Mm. He did a really interesting job. And, you know, I didn't read the book, but he seems to have done a really interesting job taking a story that could have been hard to bring to life and the way he works with it. And I think even with the pieces he takes from Hill House and the way he changes that and the stories and the Poe stories he um, he changed. Interesting. But I think it really starts with these two, Gerald's Game and Dr. Sleep. Yeah. So Gerald's Game is also adapted um, from a Stephen King work. Mike Flanagan loves Stephen King, as all horror nerds do, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't really talk about horror and specifically horror adaptations without talking about Stephen King. Um, Alex and I watched Gerald's Game in our first shared apartment. And I like I have the memory of it burned into my brain. Because not only is it, I mean, it's creepy. Now, yes. the only thing I don't love about Gerald's game is that I don't feel like it necessarily stuck the ending. We both were kind of like, mm, you know. Kings. I think I, that's, that's what I was going to say is I think some of that is on Stephen King because Stephen King loves to just like throw you a weird wrench right at the end. And you're like, Steve, what? Like, so I think that's part of it. Um, and that maybe he was trying to be faithful in the work, faithful to the work in a way that like it would have benefited to kind of go another direction. Um, but that being said, 
this movie is so creepy. So essentially, the setup, and by the way, guys, um, spoiler warning, same spoiler warning we do for niche reads. Um, you know, we're we're gonna spoil everything yeah. for you today. So the essential setup of Gerald's game is that this husband and wife that are having marital problems go out to their like country house and they decide that they're gonna try to like reignite their relationship. Um, the husband and wife are played by Carla Gugino, and I am blanking on the male actor's name, but he's that middle-aged guy that always plays the president. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bruce Greenwood. Is that who oh, it is? Oh, yeah, my love. Did Sorry for it? the typing sounds. Wow, the way I, ju- I didn't even look. Yes, I just, Bruce Greenwood. And he's in... Oh my, I pulled he's that in... out of the ether. Did you see it go into my head <laughs> as I came up with it? And he's one of the reoccurring, like he's in Doctor Sleep, he's in the House, the Fall of the House of Usher. He is a and reoccurring, as as is Carla Gugino. Yeah. So this is kind of the first peek at the building of the Flanagan verse. Obviously, besides Kate Siegel being in Hush, but the the bulk of the movie is just it is mostly Carla Gugino, which I think is part of what makes it such a compelling performance. But essentially, they go out to their cabin and they decide they're gonna try some fun sex stuff and he handcuffs her to With the like frame real fucking handcuffs real fucking handcuffs yeah there's no like fuzziness or like it's not like they're like using scarves like these are like lapd handcuffs yeah and they handcuff her to their big mahogany bed and then he has a heart attack and dies on top of her and nobody everybody's expecting her to be gone for the weekend so no one is coming and it has the stephen king hallmark of like nothing is scarier than the trenches of your own mind um because it's basically just her sitting there for days starting to realize that like she's going to just die of dehydration if she doesn't get out of there she's stuck handcuffed to this bed her dead husband is like laying. I think she gets him off of her, but he's laying on the floor beside her. Um, and she's just sitting there kind of trying not to lose her mind and trying to figure out how to get out of it. Um, if you do not like gory stuff, go ahead and skip forward like 45 seconds because maybe the most upsetting thing I've ever seen committed to film is in this movie. Uh she decides that she needs to get out of these handcuffs. So she breaks a glass. There's a glass that's out of reach. So she can't get it to her mouth to drink water, but she can, cause her arm is, you know, up on the bed frame. Um, but she can break it. So she breaks the glass and cuts her hand open, uh, realizing that blood is as slick as oil and that she's basically going to be able to grease her hand up, but she cuts her hand and, pulls it out of the hand and you watch just the the meat and muscle of her hand get ripped back slowly (laughs) by these handcuffs in a way that like i i have such a strong stomach like i am the friend that our nurse friend texts on the side to show like weird pictures of medical stuff that she's seen because i'm always interested when i say this turned my stomach like it it is I burned into burned. my fucking retinas. It's I don't even like to pass the like when you're like scrolling through Netflix. I don't even like to see the cover of this movie. It's a, such a visceral yeah. <laughs> response. I'm immediately upset. Like oh, I'm immediately even upset. Even listening to that podcast when he like the host was talking through that, I was like, I could vomit. It 
it's a worse version of the scene in Black Swan where Natalie Portman starts picking <laughs> a hangnail and then just peels the skin off of her finger. Like, I don't know what it is. Something about hand stuff yes. specifically really freaks me out. It's really, and maybe because. And also just like anything with peeling, like slow peeling, peeling where you're just like, you would feel every molecule of that happening Ugh. and it's happening and she's screaming and there's oh it makes me it's, so sick and he just makes you sit there with mm-hmm. it he does not turn away no there is no. no relief like it is just it's the longest i don't know it's the whole scene is probably a minute and a half but it is like the longest minute and a half of yeah. life you will ever live. I think I had to turn away because I was like, I can't, I yeah. can't do this. Yeah. Like it, it, I mean, we, and, and it was so fucking scary. There was a, and I don't even remember what it was, but there is a point in this movie where Alex and I were sitting on our couch and we both like full tilt screamed out loud. Like, I don't even remember what it was, but we both just went, ah! like and the dog in, in our There's apartment. Like that dog that like, oh eat- Yeah. Because the door comes open, and so a dog comes in, and then he starts eating the corpse. And there's this, like, ghost. It's What's such it? an it's, like the, it's got a weird name, the ghost. This, like, ghost kind of figure that you don't know if it is real right. um, or imaginary. I can't believe so this, this me. shape starts to kind of, like, lurk in the corners of this bedroom, and you kind of don't know if it's if it's there or if it's her kind of, like, losing her grip. And she starts also having these, like, flashbacks to, like, some traumatic stuff that happened in her youth and, you know, things that would maybe explain some of their marital problems. And, um, yeah, and, just her, the and di- her husband sucks. Yeah, he's not a good dude. Um, which I also think is one of the things that is fun about like the building out of the Flanagan verse is that you don't seem to have any actors who are like not willing to play the bad guy. Like everybody's willing to like be lovable and affable in one thing and, you know, flawed, but still like an endearing character. And then just like be an absolutely unrepentant piece of shit the next time, yeah. which is cool. Um we love what? that range. But yeah, this is the kind of movie that like makes me understand why people don't like horror movies. Like this movie is yes. so upsetting. It's <laughs> If horror is not yeah. your thing, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. It's No. It's it's hard to watch. It's a hard movie to watch, and I can't even in good conscience like recommend that people watch it. No. Because it's so upsetting. It really no. And and I'll I'll rewatch a lot of horror movies if I like them. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not that I dislike this movie. No, like, but I, I never like need it, to see it. But I never again. want to see it again. It's like The Strangers. Someone was like, you should just rewatch it. I was like, Ooh. I never need to see that again. Nope. Never. Nope. True story. Life. When I was a teen, I watched The Strangers. I had recorded it on DVR. Um, hashtag old. Um, I recorded it. I DVR'd it. And I was watching it in my basement. And in the daytime, like after school, was like finishing watching this movie. And the last six minutes of the movie where Liv Tyler is sitting on the front porch crying Mm -hmm. and you see the man with the paper bag head like coming up towards her and she's not realizing he's like approaching her. My TV just cut to black. No. And all that was left was the sound. And... I've, so I've never seen the last six minutes of The Strangers, and I don't know if I ever will. No, because I was you just don't like, need to. This is just 
the worst. They're like, bringing the it back, aren't they? There's like they be did a, new... I think they did a reboot. Yeah, they did. Yeah. It came out maybe like last year or something or no, maybe a couple of years ago. Um, it was supposed to be, I think, good, but maybe not as good. But anyway, that's a whole side thing. Um, anything else you'd like to say about Dr. Sleep? Because I actually haven't seen this one. Yeah. So I think I started, I started watching it last night. I'm like almost done with it. I think it's, he did a really interesting job. I didn't know this until I started you know, doing some research for this episode. And maybe I heard it in passing once, but that Stephen King did not like The Shining. Mm. adaptation the movie um he was really un unhappy with it which is a lame take i'm sorry i I don't think he liked the changes that i that have a really hard kubrick yeah (laughs) yeah well because it looks like it should be like kubrick or something yeah um there's some of the changes that he made um to that and so it's really dr sleep does a really good job of i think kind of staying true to Stephen King's kind of world and what he wanted. It's, it's a sequel to The Shining, by the way, for those. Mm-hmm. It's about Danny Torrance. Um, staying true to King's vision while also like incorporating elements of the like fans of The Shining. I think you would still like it, but also yeah. paving his own path. I think this is really where he starts to... There's a lot of like lighting and shots and different elements in this movie that are very similar to what you'd see in Haunting of Hill House. Mm series um it's it's very good i really recommend it even pete liked it which ewan mcgregor's in it correct i believe so um jacob tremley the little the uh, the actors in it um the girl the little girl who is nelly who plays young nelly um in haunting of hill house again it has a lot of the same actors i don't think kate siegel is in this one um but yeah i really recommend it it's really effective. I really like the uni- the King universe that he's starting to create. It feels, yeah. um, and actually Pete pointed this out to me. Um, we had listened to that Evolution of War episode together. Um, and they kind of, kind of talk about a criticism that I think Flanagan gets that he's too sentimental yeah. or too emotional. But I think it's, it brings a unique element to King's adaptations, like the kind of like history. It just pulls out interesting elements of his work. And some yeah. of the more emotional elements and the character building. It's not, he's not just trying to scare you. Right. Um, it's, it, and you know, like he is sentimental and, and sometimes, you know, and we can talk about the places that he misses with that, but I actually find it to be a really compelling part of his work. I think because, and I mean, roll your eyes, whatever <laughs> I, you won't, but um, uh, maybe the listeners will, but I think talking about what we're afraid of and talking about what we love are so closely intertwined, right? And it's important, I think, to be able to like, you know, I mean, when when you're making horror that has something to it other than just scaring you and has that like emotional narrative arc to it and everything, like... I do think it's a really compelling component of the work to talk because you, you know, you talk about fear, you talk about risk, you talk about love, you talk about risk, like, and those things are very closely. And one of the scary, right? Like loving it. I mean, this is kind of a through line in his work that like, 
like loving people and, you know, having people that you love, even when they're like flawed or, you know, fucked up or whatever is like one of the scariest things that you can do. Um, And so I think, you know, I always find that very, very effective. We'll talk a little bit more about it when we get to the haunting of Hill house. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I, it also I, I don't have like, a problem. What's, what's wrong with sincerity? You <laughs> I know? feel like the more I get, the more sincere I get. Mm-hmm. And you, like, it, I mean, I'm it getting kind of... deeply unironic in yeah. my late twenties. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just but, um, feeling everything like right at the surface. Yeah. I think the last thing I wanted to mention, and probably maybe the last time I'll mention this podcast episode, and I'll link it to something that they pointed out that I hadn't thought of and just the way that Flanagan kind of treats his ghosts mm. or these like monsters and that he really makes you look at them like you really see them he's not it's not like a jump scare he'll do it occasional ish yeah um well you'll have that like initial kind of like shock but he really like holds your focus like even in that gory scene in Gerald's game it's not necessarily a monster but he really holds your focus when you finally see the creepy i wish i could remember its name um but he really holds it there for a we'll long call it time the doodad. um i think that's part of why maybe it, that was kind of a miss for me in his adaptation at the end there is like he likes to make you really look and it mm. kind of the ending was so much and it just didn't yeah and the, the actual depiction of the thing felt a little goofy like yes it didn't you know I but mean, like mike flanagan loves a like faceless ghost yeah um and with that one it just like something about it was a little bit like it's too much. Yeah, it just didn't. But even didn't in like, end. even in Hush, he takes his mask off, and you you see the person. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like changes the dynamic a little bit. Like it removes it from that like slasher, right? Uh, kind of world. And then Hill House, you really spend a lot of time with the ghosts. Like you see the bent neck lady, the guy with the top hat. Yeah, that's my least my the scariest moment to me is that. Well, and it's it's a lot one. about. he's always humanizing his ghost too right like it's like in gerald's game you then see this thing like out in the broad daylight and in um obviously in hill house and bly manor and a lot like a lot of times we're finding out the backstory and you know who the human being was behind the ghost and why there's it's never really just like like a ghost always has a story it always has a reason it always has its own ethos and pathos and so it is, it's like this, this humanization thing of like, I'm going to make you look at it until you realize that like, there is a, a reason that this thing exists, you know, and a, that these things don't just come into existence for no, no purpose. Right. Which I think leads us nicely, maybe into the haunting of Hill House and moving into his TV shows. Cue me screaming about how much I love Haunting of Hill House. We talked about this a little bit on our Shirley Jackson episode. Um, But I think for both of us, this is an all-time Mike Flanagan favorite. And I I mean, general favorite. I, this, go ahead. You take the lead. To me, this is like the perfect horror show. Absolutely. Um, Sorry, American Horror Story, it kind of puts you to shame. I think he is like... Mm-hmm. before about American Horror I think in the Shirley Jackson episode I think we did yeah um, yeah and that sort of like tilt towards shock instead of yeah. you know and just doing so much 
all the time way too much all uh, jumping the shark minimum once a season i mean yeah. except for the first one which i think is an exception but yes um but no I, i'm like what do i even have left to say about it it's so it's so good i think it's a brilliant adaptation of the haunting of hill house it i mean it's very different right. um but i like the way he you know kind of paid homage to it what he pulled from it it's fun to like read it after and be like oh like the character like the names and the way right that things reflect in both um but it's just so fucking good and it, it's scary um genuinely scary scary. and emotional i and... mean the first time we watched it do you remember like uh, the bent neck lady was so so scary like she's so until you i think it when you rewatch it and you you know then you kind of know what she is and where she came from it's not as terrifying but when you first see the bent neck lady like it's upsetting upsetting and i know i just <laughs> really said this upsetting. but the top hat man yeah <laughs> no. well that would have traumatized me for life and this is kind, sure. kind of where we start to see um mike flanagan also hiding ghosts so there are a lot of like in addition to you know there are moments like again with the not a jump scare but a scare like where you know you'll see the primary ghost out of frame or like in mm -hmm. the background and you know you're meant to see it but then there are also all these other ones where like if you're really paying close attention you'll see somebody like walk by in the background or like you know they'll turn past a corner and there'll be somebody there like where you really have to look but there's a ton of them um and it's kind of cool when you've got, you know, because it takes place in this house and it's supposed to be that this house has this backstory and, you know, it's kind of like trapping souls. And so, of course, like all of the families and people that have right. lived there before, like they're all there. Um, I love this show so much. I just rewatched it recently. Um, I think prior to our Shirley Jackson episode to kind of be able to talk about it. And I mean, yes, it is. It's scary and intense. Um, but I also think it is just <laughs> when he was asked if they were going to do like another season of Hill House, he was like, I feel like I have to leave this family alone. Like I've put them through so much. <laughs> it is such a moving piece of television yeah. and like I mean it really it the ultimate story is really just about the love that this family has for one another and like uh, the the scene where and again spoiler 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 but the scene at the end where Nell's ghost is in the red room with uh Luke and Cheryl and you know and all of the the siblings and everything and she says to them, I loved you completely. Everything else is confetti. I'm like, I'm going to cry talking yeah. about it again, because it just like, I mean, as somebody who has cried only twice in therapy, and one of them was talking about <laughs> how much I love my siblings, like this show, I just, I, it, and I just felt it so deeply because it's like it's there's all of these things that are going on and there's all the ways that you know this family is traumatized from what's happened to them and they basically you know in some way they all sort of represent a different stage of grief right like we've got denial we've got anger we've got bargaining we've got you know like each one of them is sort of stuck in a different stage of that 
and um, with Steve obviously being denial and, you know, I would say um, Theo is probably anger. And yeah. there there are people that have outlined this kind of more thoroughly than I am right now. But they they are all like stuck in these different things where they haven't found healthy ways to cope with the loss of their mother and the trauma of their childhood. And but it like it is this thing where just like watching them finally like come together at the end is so it's so moving and also like he cast the cutest kids in the oh my world God, baby luke i want to hold in the palm of my yes. hands with his big old glasses and his squeaky little voice i'm i'm obsessed with that with that child <laughs> like he's so cute him and him and baby nell yep. and like playing their little games in the dumb waiter and everything and they're just like they're so sweet and you have this sense of watching them and being like kind of the you know the preoccupation that their mother begins to develop with like I don't want to send them out into the world because I don't want anything bad to happen yeah. to them and you feel that and then you're also watching them as adults do these things that are like just hurting themselves and you're watching them suffer and you're watching you know Nell have her sleep paralysis and then her husband die which is so sad and you're watching Luke struggle with addiction and like not being able to write his ship and you're just like I mean I just watched that entire show and just wanted to like give everybody okay. a hug like it just it's so moving all the performances are so compelling I was, like I was gonna say I think this is I think everyone who, you know, kind of repeats throughout his work that's in this one, I think they're cast perfectly. Like this might be yeah. their their like shining moment throughout his his work. I think he, the casting was great. Um, yeah. Like throughout. Everybody feels so real. You know, they yes. all do really feel like they are those characters. Um Carla Gugino is, you know, plays the mother. She's great she's always great i love her i've loved her since spy kids she's she has reached a day beautiful um yeah i just i cannot say enough about this show i love it so much i will probably watch it every year until i die i like i just i i just fucking love it and like aesthetically it's perfect like the house is so good because it's they've got it right in that sweet spot of being like beautiful house with old bones but also having like weird creaky spots yeah. and places that are like you know you understand why they've moved into this house to renovate it and like there's something kind of off-putting about that disconnect like it feels like there's places you shouldn't go and yes you know and it you know, I think even since 2018, like we've seen a lot more stuff that it's like, okay. And like the monster is grief, you know, like it kind of started with the Babadook. Yeah. Um, and this was a an early iteration of that where we're seeing, you know, it's, I mean, it's kind of about, you know, trauma and love and loss and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I just think it does it so effectively. So well. um, the dynamics, everyone's, I love watching like the different dynamics between the different sets of siblings versus when they're all together and the way they kind of like interact with the dad or the parents like throughout um throughout the story it feels you know again very real yeah kudos to the writers too who work with Flanagan um I think he he helps write a lot of these but um shout out to to them because fuck yeah this is also the only Mike Flanagan work um that has and I'm gonna screw up saying his first name I 
Michel or Michel or whatever Huisman. He's a Dutch actor. Um, I just think he's really handsome and great at what he does. And I, he plays Steve. Um, and when I watched oh, yeah. the show, I was so stoked to see him there because he's like one of my like. He hasn't made an appearance, has he? Again? No, no. And I'm kind of hoping they'll bring him back. I always think he's great. Um, if you'd like to see him again, you can. He was the uh, replacement casting of uh, <clears throat> Dario Naharis in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, later seasons the objectively more handsome one i think personally um he's also in the age of adeline which he's great in um i don't know i think that guy's got charisma for days and he like he makes steve even when steve is you're just like jesus christ steve your siblings are dying like stop but you're still there is something in him that is like there's a tenderness and a you know and something that still makes you feel you know sympathy and empathy and and drawn to this like flawed character and i think you know like every single one of the what is what is their last name in it i can't think of it right now oh thorn no but that's the last name from a book crane crane yeah every single one of the crane children is like pretty deeply flawed yes but they're still surely yeah like they got problems but there's still that that core of you know empathy um through this work and i don't for something that is so emotionally resonant this never struck me as being like saccharine or overwrought Mm -hmm. or any of that like it just feels very authentic and those emotional moments feel really really earned for sure and now you have to shut me up because i'll say should we i what should we talk should we do we'll we do want Midnight to... Mass? Sure, sure. We can talk about Haunting of Bly Manor um, if we want to go in chronological order. That one did not do it for me. It's not my favorite. It's not. Um, we talked about this a little bit beforehand, um, and I had said the th- there are two two things about – well, first of all, and I as I've said, I love Carla Gugino. Her accent work and kind of everybody's accent work in this, there are a lot of – American actors playing British or and some like specific British accents um, in a way that I do not think they stuck the landing on to the point that it's distracting. Um, Carla Gugino narrates almost the entire series in a brummy accent (laughs) that is sort of Irish and sort of Scottish and just completely off the wall. Um, And it I just it's very, it's very difficult to, to snap out of. Um, I mean, I think the, the highlights of this series are uh, the actress who plays Hannah, who would then come back in later series. um, And the act, the actor who plays Owen, Um, their story is my favorite thing about this series. I just rewatched it recently for us to be able to, you know, talk about it on this episode. Um, and the love story between Hannah and Owen is so devastatingly sad to me. Um, where he's like, Hannah, we could move to Paris and just live. And they're like ready to run away together. And then we find out that Hannah has been spoiler alert, dead at the bottom of a well. And he's been like talking to her ghost and just, I mean, uh, yeah, Wow. I, I have goosebumps. It makes me that's that's the really compelling part of this season for me. Um the accent work is tough. I don't 
the my hang up with the kind of relationship between the gardener, you know, who's referred to as the gardener, Jesse mm-hmm. and Danny, um, is that I feel like we don't get like we only get these like little like early seeds of a relationship. And then all in the end episode, it's like, and then they went off and they lived together and they were super happy for like five to 10 years and they were going to get married and they were so in love. And then she died. And you're like, whoa, I like haven't even had enough time to like be emotionally invested in this. And then, and it just also like, I don't know. I like the payoff kind of fell flat for me. And also it gave me the thing that we had when we were watching season one of Westworld, where you looked at me and you said, if she says violent delights, have violent ends one more time, I'm going to jump out the window. When I, that little girl who's also so cute and such a talented little actress, mm-hmm. if I heard her say, I've been tucked away again one more time, I was like, I'm taking a running leap. We get like, it. I, I can't. Like, it just like when somebody reuses that, like a hyper specific phraseology like that you're like oh my god like stop thesaurus like it's just it gets irritating. we get it (laughs) we get it um yeah i think i you get a little lost in the plot i think in the middle it like doesn't do as good of a job or at least for me like stringing you along through it um i also watched this at like the height the darkest days of 2020 and so maybe my brain was just i couldn't compute yeah um I liked yeah. it a little bit better on my second watch, but give it's it a still just not my it's not my favorite. And we probably won't spend a lot of time talking about Midnight Club because I didn't watch it. Uh, I watched the first couple episodes. Yeah. Um I think I don't think it was bad, but I definitely think it probably rank as my least favorite. I've kind of seen that people love to rank these mm-hmm. shows. I was like doing some research. Everything was just like a different news outlet's ranking of like Mike Flanagan's projects, um, but pretty unanimously at the bottom. Um, Bly Manor or The Midnight Club? Both of them. They're like oh, very okay. much like people. The one thing that did come out of this that I think is really funny is there is a TikTok of Mike Flanagan. Somebody like he'll interact with people on TikTok where they'll send him questions and he'll kind of talk about his process. He's very open about it. It's really cool to like get to kind of see behind the scenes of a filmmaker like that. Um, He'll talk about his writing process, how they work everything out in pre-shoots. Like, but he, somebody was like, do you like set out trying to just emotionally devastate us all and make (laughs) us cry? And so then he does this very elaborate bit where he talks about how he actually, they collect the water from the tears of people watching his television (laughs) shows and he like uses them. So he's, you know, he's got like, this is from episode five of um, Hill house. And, you know, I use it for this. And then he's got like one in a decanter that's dark red. And he's like, this is all the Catholic guilt tears from midnight mass. (laughs) And then at the end, he just pulls out, he pulls out like a giant, like the buckets that you'd get from like Lowe's, you know, like a big, plastic project mm. bucket and it's just labeled lesbian tears and he's like this one's from Bly Manor and it actually got my house off the municipal water grid I use it to water my garden <laughs> it's so funny it cracks me up if I can link it uh in the show notes I absolutely uh, will it's it's my incredible. favorite I just it's so funny um yeah anyway so important okay. sidebar there so that leaves that leaves us with two I think we should start with midnight mass um, let's do it and I'm I'm interested to see how you feel about this one. I 
feel bad saying that I don't love it because it was a passion project for him and it was so important to him uh, and his creative process and getting to make it. Yeah. Um, but it just didn't do it for me. And I actually, I don't think it's, I I don't really know. I don't think it's a fault of the show. I just think it's not my mm. cup of tea per se. It kind of has this like vampire tilt. And I think I've realized that I don't love that on screen i don't mind it in books not twilight um but i don't always love it alex has an edward cullen tattoo somewhere <laughs> hidden on her body um no it sparkles but yeah i don't know this one didn't i don't know there was like a, a point in the series i don't i think i'm like i have like an episode and a half left where i just tapped out but yeah. i so many people's favorite it is like the list like the rank list fluctuate between like midnight mass and haunting and pill house being his like best work yeah um this one is interesting to me because this is kind of the only one where i did feel a little bit it felt a little bit shark jumpy to me um yeah where it was like all of a sudden like then we're talking about like biblically accurate angels and yeah. you know and and the vampire thing and the, <laughs> which like, i think is a vampire thing now that it's, i'm like it's vampiric in nature yeah. for sure um it like i I'm same taking the life sort of thing. Time, so. Same sort of thing as Bly Manor, though, where it like it felt like it get it got a little bit muddy in the middle. I mean, I loved the initial concept, right? Yeah. Like it's kind of a play on the Agatha Christie locked room thing, right? Like all these people are on this island. Yeah, aesthetically, I really like you it. Can't, yeah, and there's times where you can't get off the this island. Yeah. Um, I think there's a really like the the thing that carried me through this was the lead performances by Kate Siegel. And Zach Guilford, um, who reminds me a lot of like an American James Norton, um, oh. Tommy Lee Royce from uh, mine and Alex's maybe all time favorite show, Happy Valley. Um, definitely one of. Um, but he like in the face, he's very similar. Yeah. Um, he's not so creepy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and James Norton is not always creepy. He seems like he's like a very like charming, charismatic dude in Happy Valley. He's a scary monster. Yes. Um, but he always kind of reminds me of him to the point that I had to look like when I first watched the show to be like, is this James Norton just doing an incredible American accent? No. Um, and my favorite fact about his name is Zach, right? Is yeah, that he's exactly. in the Hours music video, the Taylor Swift music video. <laughs> oh, my God. So <laughs> back fun. in 2012. I think it's a genuine Easter egg. Yeah, he was in Friday Night Lights, I want to say, right? As like a yeah, young He's person. got like kind of a an interesting career, yeah. but I really like him in this. Um, and I think his performance is very like emotionally compelling with the the backstory and everything. But it just something about the horror elements in this specifically um didn't sit yeah. like a hundred percent with me. And then there's this sort of like this thing at the end where all these people die and then like some of them do like come back like there's this like gutting scene where it's like everything is going crazy and people are dying and people are killing each other and then like it doesn't completely stick um yeah. and so it just it i don't know it didn't have like the payoff that i wanted it to um i do want to go back and like rewatch it because i have a feeling that when i watched it i kind of like watched a couple episodes took a break watched a couple yeah. and I'm wondering if maybe it will function better for me if I sit through and watch it in in one run um and also know what I'm like going into right. because I, I think it was such a hard swing like where yes. it's like I thought we were doing small town weirdness and all of a sudden we're doing like high level catholic weirdness yes. which is different 
the I'm man on board for it. It's just loves different. a monologue. He does. <laughs> um, which in the, the fall of the House of Usher really also oh, yeah. um, is showcased. But I don't not like that. I mean, I love that he loves it. It's it's interesting for horror mm-hmm. to have like such a meaty like dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's obviously they're ten. It's a ten part show or eight part show. Um, but yeah, he just loves. It's dense. Yeah. Especially Midnight Mass. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can tell, I guess once I learned that it was like, oh, a passion project, I was like, okay. Or like, you know, it was what he really wanted to make. Right. It does feel like that. Yeah. Um, well, and it's interesting because sometimes like the passion project is not always right the most successful thing because sometimes, you know, I mean, whatever, like it just kind of depends, you know, um, Damien Chazelle and Babylon right like that was the thing he really I mean La La Land before that but like he really wanted and I loved that movie um so I'm not saying it's not but it's not always like the commercially most successful and sometimes it's not you know or sometimes you get bogged down in the vision and it kind of doesn't translate to everybody but really translates to some people um but yeah this is one that I I think I'll probably rewatch just to see if my feelings about it change um because there are parts of it you know obviously um there's a lot going on in this story about redemption and and those are you know like there's thematically there's a lot of stuff that um i feel like this should have worked for me right so i want to kind of revisit it and see see what it is more specifically and then last or most recently Mm -hmm. came out this year the fall of the house of usher yeah this one is dark it's yeah 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 it's dark it's definitely the darkest i think of the bunch and there are a few moments in this one that truly like shocked me yeah I, like oh it felt so there are times when i think i to me it felt a little choppy i actually didn't realize until research this episode that he didn't direct all of these directed mm. four um, and i don't know if that contributed to it if it was just the nature of like what they were trying to do kind of like create it, in some ways, I don't know if you saw Castle Rock. It was kind of trying to create this like universe of King mm-hmm. and bring in a lot I of didn't references. See it, but I, I did, I did hear about it. It's decent, and I felt like you know they were trying to create this like Poe universe, right? And so this, I think some of that came from just trying to like bring all these stories together and then fit it into this overarching narrative of like the Fall or the House of Usher. Um, but overall, I enjoyed it. I really liked this one a lot. Um, it's not Hill House for me, but I would mm-hmm. say this is probably my second favorite. Actually, I agree. maybe maybe I have a little bit of recency bias going on. Yeah. Um, but I really, really liked this. I mean, in part because it it kind of has that like like I always love a real like eclectic group, you know, and these. The Usher children, the adult, I mean, obviously they're adult children, but the Usher, you know, progeny in this um, show are so all over the fucking map. And so it allows for some like really fun, wonky character work and these really like intricate stories of of each of their demises. Um, So, yeah, the the story, I mean, the the title is comes from. Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher, which is a short story um, and doesn't really have like the the story of The Fall of the House of Usher is mostly about the dynamic between Roderick Usher and his sister Madeline. 
Um, and, you know, and some of what happens in that story, you know, plays out in different ways um, in this. But but they definitely this is very Mike Flanagan making an adaptation. Yes. Um, each episode is titled after a different Poe work. Um, so there's, you know, there's the pit and the pendulum and the telltale heart. And and they all have to do with the ways that each of the Usher children um, are killed. Uh, those two being the ones that I think I probably remember most distinctly. I have the Telltale Heart episode. That reveal. <laughs> I mean, okay, first of all, Mike Flanagan loves to like hit an episode. It's kind of like Taylor Swift where like she, you know, isn't it track five usually where yeah. she just like sneaks one in where you're like, what the fuck? Mike Flanagan on episode five always <laughs> does something fucking crazy. Would love to know if he did that because of that. <laughs> Would love that connection there. You know, I give you permission to just believe that for your yeah. being. Um, but that ep- where her girlfriend is just like kind of <laughs> flayed open oh. against the wall. And you find out that the squeak has just been that she's been hearing this artificial heart valve that they've been trying to create. And she's put it in her dead chest. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like. It's batshit. Like yeah. it's fucking crazy. And I, I don't I know. If I he mean, directed that one. Let me I, see. I think he did. I've Googled the fall of us sure a million times. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's let us see. Well, so this one is and this to me really felt like Yes, he, he did. Like, he did not write it though. So he got kind of the whole Flanagan-verse cast, Flanaverse cast in on this. Like, Kate Siegel, his wife, and, you know, Muse, maybe, is playing one of the Usher children. Um, Carla Gugino is playing... I mean, some people have kind of, you know, alluded to this character, Verna, that she plays as being uh, the devil. But it's not really... She's not really a devil in the sort of, like, traditional Faustian bargain sense where she's like, you know, she makes a deal with Roderick and Madeline uh, in their youth um, and who young Roderick is played by, um, by Zach Guilford um, and older Roderick is played by Bruce Greenwood of uh, Gerald's game fame um, and the president and everything. (laughs) Um, But he, so they, they make a deal uh, with, Verna and it it's not a Faustian bargain in the sense that it's like she's not pulling anything over on them like she gives them the terms up front and she Mm -hmm. says you know I will give you like all the success all the money all the you know whatever but there will come a time where like all of your children will die and they will die right in a row and then so will you like you will be the last usher, like there will be no usher line, you know, or all, not even all of your children, but all of your line, right? Yeah. All of your family line. Um, and we kind of find that out after we've watched the usher children all kind of be picked off one by one. Um, and it's interesting because the show starts with this sort of thing where Roderick's like, yeah, listen, like I had a bunch of kids from a bunch of different women, but like you've always had a place here and that's, you know, that's my thing. Um, And as much as Madeline is sort of cast as being the like, you know, the ball buster and the the heavy hitter of the two of them, it's like 
she's the one that hesitates when that bargain mm-hmm. is on the table. And she's also the one that didn't choose to have children, knowing what the stakes were going to be. Um, and so, you know, it's it's less of this like, oh, the devil got you and more of this like you were left to your own devices and this is what you did. Yeah. Um, and and this is, you know, ne- you're not you're not having the wool pulled over your eyes in some way. It's like you're j- this is just you paying for your sins, like knowing full well what you signed up for. Um, so she's in it. Uh, Ruth Codd plays the, you know, the most recent wife of um, Roderick Usher, which she was first cast in The Midnight Club. Um, Mike Flanagan actually found her on TikTok, which is kind of cool. She was a like a barber and a makeup artist, uh, and she lost her job during COVID and started making like very specific, very niche TikTok videos. And he found her that way and cast her in the Midnight Club. Um, and then she became part of the Flaniverse. So she's now um, in the fall of the House of Usher as well. Um, we've got... Um, oh, also, uh, I'm not familiar, su- like super familiar with the actress who played Madeline, um, especially older Madeline. Her name's Mary McDonald, spelled the same way as mine. Um, we're probably related. <laughs> but I thought she was so compelling in this also the whoever played young madeline yeah stunning stunning so great and i thought they like tonally matched each other perfectly it's kind of the thing that we talked about during yellow jackets of like you're watching these two people play the same character Mm -hmm. at different points in their life and they like their performances are synced up perfectly i had no problems imagining that that was the same woman Mm mm-hmm um, we've got Henry Thomas, who plays the uncle in Bly Manor as one of the shitty Usher children. We've got Rahul Kohli, who is Owen in Bly Manor, whom I love. Um, he's also in the Midnight Club uh, in one episode, but he plays Leo. Uh, Tinia Miller um, plays Victorine in the, and specifically in the Telltale Heart episode. So everybody's really, yeah, really, really there. Um the actor who plays Prospero is in the Midnight Club. Like they're all kind of coming from all of his work and being there together. And I just, I mean, it's like this one feels, even though there are, you know, kind of heavy themes um, and there's some like genuinely shocking moments, there's something about it that does have a little bit of that, like it has a little bit of fun to it in a way that I don't feel like, Flanagan work always necessarily does I think because for the first time it doesn't feel quite so bad to like like with Haunting of Hill House you're like I don't want anything bad to happen to these people and with this one you're like I'm they're the worst they're the worst worst and especially the two and in uniquely different ways which is also fun especially the oldest two children I oh Freddie and Freddie uh, and yes and that actress as well the one who plays yes. Cameron she's also been in a ton of his work I um, <laughs> just no yeah. I, I was like these two people are the worst yeah the yeah. worst they my I mean her monologue uh, or when she is like yelling at that dude the her husband I was like oh my god that I mean. And it it takes a lot for me to say this, but like she had that man like beaten down. Yeah, like poor like, Bill. Bill was oh just God. doing his best. Then her uh, the I don't know her the the sex thing. 
Yeah, which was wild. Totally wild. Um, yeah, these characters, they're not likable. And I... Frederick is, is, far, is for me, worst. far and away the worst, yes. um, which I think is what makes it's... his deeply cinematic and otherwise very <laughs> upsetting death. Yes. Yeah, when I... The, the when I realized that that episode was called The Pit and the Pendulum, I went, oh, Jesus. And then he's in that warehouse and like and and the version of Verna that Carla Gugino is playing there is like sort of like smug and where she's like, listen, like I wouldn't have made you suffer like this. But then you pulled out all of your wife's teeth and oh. and in another life you would have been a dentist and there was something about that that I just couldn't and she just lays there next to him as he's got this paralytic drug in his body he's watching this building collapse and then like a metal bar ends up coming down and swinging over him and just slowly chopping him in half like it's it, crazy like you know, there are maybe elements that aren't as, like, weird or intense as, like, the original poet, like, the, the stories that they're based off of. But it is just as fucking gruesome. Mm-hmm. And dark. When they, when they fucking brick up, and I get that, like, that guy is also a piece of shit, but when they brick that guy up inside the wall and we find out that that's why Roderick can hear the bell tinkling oh. behind that wall. Sadistic. <laughs> so sadistic. That's, that's a perfect word to sum this up. Like, it's... It's definitely playing with with that kind of tendency yeah. of like allowing, you know, you can because you can tell Mike Flanagan doesn't want to hurt his characters too badly when he loves yeah. them. And these ones, he's just like, look at what they've done. Look at what yeah. irredeemable monsters they are. And like, now yeah. you're going to watch them go out in absolutely epic fashion. Yeah, the kills are insane. Yeah, all insane. of them. Every single um, one. I mean, even like when... In the, the first cat? episode or second episode, we watched the the like acid rain in the night. Oh my club. god! Like, I was like, "This is how we're starting." I know. I was like, "How are we going to go up from here?" And then they just did. Kate Siegel gets torn apart by a gorilla. Like this show is insane. It's insane, and I and part of what you're tuning in for every episode is to be like, "How are we going to get the next yeah. one?" Like it's crazy. And I, I think I guess my only one of my maybe criticisms of it is like they do feel a little caricature-y because a little bit yeah you can I tell agree. you he really wants you to not like them yeah um again he seems like a sentimental dude yeah so there are times where i'm like okay this they don't like freddie doesn't at points i think is maybe the just doesn't seem real but also does but it just yeah i can think it gets a little carried away at parts but yeah like dude, Kate, he, Kate Siegel's character is the one that i really like yes, with like I, the white wig or whatever she's got going like where i was just it was a little bit too much of and i want to talk like, about this power bitch kind of thing where i was just like <laughs> i don't really buy it like um god freddie i kept wanting him to be the next one <laughs> i know and go. you have to wait until the end like because he is just oh, so he reminds horrible me of the guy in bad sisters that you just you hate yeah oh yeah 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 the husband john, john paul and he was just the fucking worst yeah but there's no like, humor in it like there's no humor in that but the show is funny it's a funny tone bad sisters yeah um but this doesn't he's just the fucking worst and you're he's like just oh awful God. and you're just watching him torture his poor wife because of his suspicions of what she's done that are not correct and like <laughs> and and his poor sweet daughter oh, and 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 I mean, I think too, that's also part of the case for like 
Verna not really like maybe she's not the devil maybe she's death or maybe she's she's something else the raven right the raven (laughs) like I mean Verna is obviously raven reconfigured um what is that anagrammed um but she you know she's she's something that is not like she's not an evil presence and you see the care that she takes in like like she regrets that she's yeah. going to have to end Lenore's life and she does it. That is the only one that she does gently because she, and she tells her like, listen, this is what's going to happen. Like, you know, this is the legacy that you're going to leave. Like you've left a good, a good mark on this world. And, you know, and that scene is like pretty moving. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think she's a, she's a bad guy here and I don't think we're mm. supposed to believe that she's a bad guy. Um, also I just kind of thought it was hilarious that it's like, oh no, not only has she been following this family around, but here's her with Mark Zuckerberg. Here's her with Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Here's her with the rock. I Pratt. thought like, that was funny, but I also was just like, like I, I didn't need yeah. that. That was a standout scene for me that I was like, could have cut. Yeah. It felt like a punchline. Yes. It did feel like a Could have cut. I felt like they were trying to like bring in some level of humor there and it did not land because it just wasn't strung throughout the rest yeah of the series well again like bad sisters like that would have you know it just wasn't there as much throughout i just that was the part where i was like okay yeah (laughs) well and it felt it felt a little bit like a reach for like i i thought it was going to be we were going to take it a little bit more universal Mm -hmm. and then you kind of never come back to that again um it's pull i felt you were pulled out of the story for no yeah no yeah. real reason yeah to be, i like, mean it did give me that. a laugh but i yeah. agree. like narratively it probably is not super that was not a super well executed no. part um but i did you know and i think bruce greenwood really it because he was a great the, cast yeah and the fall of so the house of dislikable. usher yeah is which is interesting that we always make him the president but anyway um <laughs> The Fall of the House of Usher is written much the same as Henry James' The Turn of the Screw, um, which is what Bly Manor was based off of, where you've got a character sitting with a narrator telling a story. Um, You know, that's kind of an old device. It was very common in short stories, particularly. Um, But so he does use that here in the same way as Bly Manor, but I think it's more effective here, in part because you're not dealing with the accent, and in part (laughs) because... The, the just the general conceit of it i think made yeah. a little bit more sense to me i loved the interplay between bruce greenwood and uh the actor who plays augie the mm-hmm. the kind of lawyer uh investigator guy um he's an actor i've seen also yeah. a million times in a million things and i carl lumley um see august dupin um but like i thought he was great in this um you know just kind of playing the he he's the audience analog, right? right? Of just being like, "What are you saying to me right now?" <laughs> like, yeah. what? like, what the fuck am yeah. I doing in this house? He keeps being like, I "Think I need to go." Yeah. Um, and um, then those those end scenes where we find out about Madeline in the basement and all of that, mm, like that, all comes from the original yeah, story yeah. of the fall of the House of Usher. Um, but you know, holy shit! Yeah, wow. I think when I, you know, regardless, I think of how you feel about the show as a whole what a feat to kind of like pick this story to like be the back this like kind of like narrative backbone and then to work all these other um short stories into it and to yeah. make that all work and to feel at times feel choppy whatever but like 
overall feel pretty, pretty impressive. Cohesive. Yeah. 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 To create and, this like universe. Kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to also, I mean, it, it does have, you know, parts of it that are, that are commentary on a, a current issue, sure. right? Because we're dealing with a family that is, you know, essentially an analog for the Sacklers and the creation of, you know, and it's not supposed to be oxy like the the drug that they peddle is meant to be a an alternative to mm-hmm. oxy but it's pretty clear that like yeah. we're basically talking about the sacklers and oxy um and so you know and i thought that part of it was handled with care mm-hmm. um and addressed well in a way that didn't feel forced um and and was you know i mean again like it's a it's a pretty catholic catholic yeah. thing but to be like talking about how we reckon with our sins you know yeah. um and what we have to to give up in uh in the pursuit of power and money and all for of sure. that stuff so this this one worked for me a lot yeah. i i, I enjoyed say- it and i will definitely go back and watch it again i had to if i had to rank them it would be hill house House of Usher, Midnight Mass, Bly Manor, Midnight Club, I think would be my... Yeah, I am currently in episode five of the Midnight Club, so I'll have to report back um, once I finish it. I held off on this one, honestly, because um, young people dying is something I generally kind of steer away from. Um, I sobbed on a plane reading The Fault in Our Stars when I was like 17 years old to the point that the man next to me was like, do you need me to get you a flight attendant like do you need help and I was like no I'm fine um and I just I also like I don't know it kind of it makes me a little bit uh anxious to watch young people actively dying it it's not my favorite uh yeah is it anybody's but um so I kind of avoided this one for a long time um and I'm finally getting around to it and um I am enjoying it so far um it's it's cool. It's also kind of got a conceit of like a story within a story thing going on. Um, and it's a lot of young actors um, who are really doing a great job yeah. and knocking it out of the park. And yeah, I'll have to check it out. I think it's a good point. I have a lot of health related uh, anxieties, things like yeah. that can be a little bit of a trigger for me for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like my doctor, I said to Alex before we got on today, I went for just like my general, you know, pcp visit this week and i've had like a weird i've just had a cough for several weeks and it like i think i'm fine i think it's just being alive in this climate and everything else it's probably allergies um but she said the words like she was like oh well if you know we'll try this thing and blah 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 and uh if that doesn't work like we'll have to send you for a chest x-ray and i was like did we not start out this appointment (laughs) with you asking me how my anxiety is like don't please don't say the words chest x-ray to me unless you want to like unravel my day uh so anyway i'm fine uh but that's where i'm at so watching this whole show of just like teens with cancer is just a little bit like oh wow that really can just come out of nowhere and like it doesn't matter how good of a person you are or how much you're doing like it's just when it's your time, you go, huh? Like, because it's all set in a hospice for yes. dying teens. Yes. Um, that, but also, like, I mean, some real spooky stuff yeah. going on, real creepy. Spooky. So, yeah. Well, I think to to end things out yeah. here, um, next up for Flanagan, 
is an adaptation of Stephen King's short story, The Life of Chuck. Um, I hate ma- that title. Yeah. I, I don't really know much about this piece of work. I just don't like that title. I think it has another haunted house element to it. Um, Fantastic. The main character is going to be played by Tom Hiddleston. I'm personally really excited and ready to have some different actors in the Flanagan universe. I think I really like when when directors do that, but I I think for me in the House of Usher particularly, it felt like a good like all right, we did this one last time. Right. We brought but, everybody in. And I think specifically and I do love Kate Siegel. But I think I felt that specifically with her character in the House of Usher, yeah. I was like, I'm ready. I, I just feel a little bit like now we're starting to play the same kind of like angry, mm-hmm. kind of almost resentful. Like I'm, it she felt like feel... she felt like Theo Crane, but way worse. Yes. Like it just and felt like a more boiled down version of that character. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little ready. I almost would have rather seen her play the like wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, just like seeing oh, that something a little fun. different. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting because the actress, and I can't think of her name, but the actress who played um, the the wellness, you know, Tamerlan in The Fall of the House of Usher in The Midnight Club is also like a naturopathic, yeah. woo-woo kind of, you know, hiking in the woods, picking blackberries sort of thing. Um, and maybe sometimes it's like, it, you know, you're good at what you're good at, but yeah but and and sometimes even it's like it feels like the casting is maybe i don't want to say forced but where it's yeah. just like i wrote this role and so like this is the person i'm gonna have do it because i know they can do this thing um but when you've seen them do it before it's also it can get challenging to differentiate i think like yeah not in a literal sense but in an emotional sense you know what yeah. i mean you're just kind of like oh okay i know like the vibe you got going on here. Yeah. So yeah, I'm ready to see. I think Kate Siegel is still going to be in this one. Yeah. Um, some capacity and a few others, but excited to see kind of a new lead actor. Yeah. Uh, be part and of I like Tom other. Hiddleston. I always Hiddleston. think he does a great job. He's a very talented actor. Um, so yeah, I, and I would love to see, we talked about this too, like I'd like Florence Pugh or like yeah. Emma Stone. I'd love to see like a big time actress. Yeah. Um, in in another adaptation he said that if he had still been with netflix that the third haunting series was going to be haunting of hell house adaptation of the book hell house um my jaw just dropped i would of you who cannot see which is everybody because this fucking is loved movie. i'm like can you do that he probably oh can track i'm sure he can't oh, really do that, that but so good but yeah i guess that kind studios of ruin up, everything man that kind of wraps up our, our flanagan episode I think we yeah. touched on almost everything. I wanted to to close out the episode though. We're approaching the end of the year. We're talking about TV. Mm. I don't know how many more of these we'll have before True. the new year. Yeah. What was uh some of your favorite shows you watched this year besides The Fall of the House of Usher? Yes. Um. So the final season, th- third and final season of Happy Valley came out. Oh, um. Yeah. They had waited a number, of, and I you know sort of referenced this earlier. Um, but they had waited a number of years um, to age up a character, uh, the the young boy in this, because they wanted him to be a teenager. Um, and it was very thoughtfully done. I think the lead actress, I believe her name's Sarah Lancaster, um, in this, I, I mean, she is, she's incredible. She's so, so good. 
uh james norton is in it he's like creepy expertly plays this line between being creepy and also just like you know he's he's so manipulative and to the point that like you almost buy it uh at certain yeah. points it's like kind of um, pathetic yeah, like no, even knowing all of the horrible things this man has done, I don't want to like spoil it too much in case um, anybody hasn't gone back and watched it. But I just I think it's an expertly executed series, and I thought they absolutely stuck the landing. It's a it's kind of a masterclass in like only running as far as you have story. Yeah. You know, they didn't like it was very successful, and they didn't like beat it into the ground. They just kind of wrapped up this story very nicely. And in truly dramatic fashion, um, they really like went out with a bang. Um, so I loved that. Um, I just recently and I don't think this came out this year, I think it maybe came out last year, but I finally got around to watching the final season of Sex Education. Mm. Um, and I, I just I like, like that it's a good one. It's so good. It's so like comfy feeling because yeah. it is so focused on being kind of like affirmative and inclusive and just generally kind of nice and uplifting. And, um, you know, I get why they they didn't go into it uh, planning for it to be the last season, but they kind of felt like they were at a natural stopping point. Um, and, you know, like all of those actors are starting to get other work. Mm -hmm. I mean, like three of their main cast members, um, Inkutigawa, uh, Emma Mackey, like a whole bunch of them were in the Barbie movie, <laughs> uh, which is so fun. Like you have to think that Greta Gerwig is probably a fan of the show. Um, I mean, Gillian Anderson is great in everything, oh but yeah. I just it's such a like kind, generous, heartwarming show. And it is yeah. about, you know the awkwardness of growing up but it also is one of those things that just makes you think like okay maybe the kids will be all right because it's all these young people learning how to like be openly communicative and yeah. you know be better versions of themselves and i i just i really love it um it's delightful um so i really really enjoyed that and uh what else have i been watching this year i don't know that's probably a good list what about you yeah i no, I didn't intend to, but I mentioned a few times here. I, Bad Sisters came out in 2022, I think, at the end of the year, but I didn't watch it until. Yeah, I think like I watched start it early this year. This I loved, loved Perfect it. Perfect television. Show. John Paul is the fucking worst character of all time. Yeah, it, it works perfect. Like, you know, it's the story, just like, it's so good. It's so good. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but it's just like the way they like integrate him being the worst. You're rooting for these women to like kill him, the humor. In yeah it. it's it's very uh irish it's very, it's very irish <laughs> very dark humor yes uh, the very irish dark love humor. some gallows humor if you don't like dark humor I not would, for you not for you uh it's not gory or anything no no, like, no it's um but it's the the humor is very dark um sharon horgan is the showrunner and she's incredible and she's the best <laughs> oh she's so good so good she's, everything she she's does the lead good. in the show and she's the yeah she's the showrunner and um you know one of the main writers and I, I can't remember if you had recommended this to me or if I guess Shreya and I it had been on a list of hers and she was like we should watch this we ended up watching like the bulk of the series over a weekend in Boston yeah. um and then like watching the last episodes and texting each other in all caps like like it's so good it's such a well-executed story and 
it it's tense, but not like just in a way that you just want to keep watching it. Yes. And all these women are so funny and they play off each other so yeah. well. It's so good. It's, it's so on good. Apple TV. Apple TV. It's Apple TV. Um, I think it's coming back. Um, <gasps> really? Beautiful oh scenery God. as well. Um, oh, yeah. Just idyllic Irish yes. everything. But that one was so good. And I also, I think my favorite of the year is a show called Deadlock. It's mm. on Prime, I think is the only place you can watch it. It's, it takes place in Tasmania of the coast of australia all right um and it was originally it's created by um actually i think i think two women i'd have to fact check but it was created and meant to be a satire of oh yeah Roger, you told me about this of, or this type these type of shows um and it's so it's so funny it's so it, it is it is very satirical and it's so funny but i think it's not just that like it really holds up on its own as like a kind of procedural show like you're actually very invested in um the like mystery and the story and like the who done it but it's so funny and the care it's the like the one cop who's meant to be this kind of like goofy cop it's so good i can't say enough good things about it i don't yeah. know how i came about i, I mean i said i'm on brick but it's all i watch so i'm sure my algorithm was just like You'd probably like this, but it's so good. If you haven't yeah. seen it, I've even recommended it to like a friend of Pete's who I didn't know if he would he would love it. And he's like, I watched it all in like two days. Yeah. It's great. No, you you've mentioned this to me a handful of times, and every time I go like, oh my god, that sounds amazing, and then I just haven't watched it yet. So I'm really excited to to dig into that one because I think that's really really hard to execute. Is like an effective satire that you still are, you know. Yeah. Um, invested in that storyline kind of sidebar weird one that i and i've only watched one episode so i can't like fully endorse it um but i did start watching the show i was i think it was when i was like waiting to get on my flight in paris and i i was looking through french netflix and the options are very different and i ended up watching like an episode and a half of this show called norseman which mm -hmm. is sort of like a um it's like a comedy and a satirization right of like the vikings um oh. and so it like takes place in a viking town and it's like a half hour comedy like it kind of reminds me of like what we do in the shadows kind of vibes mm -hmm. like it's very like silly and slapstick and whatever and like episode one ends with like a you know like one guy just challenges another because it's looking at all of these kind of like ancient Norse traditions where it's just like one guy wanted what another guy had so he challenged him to a duel and like if he kills him, he gets his wife and his house and all his horses. Like, it's just, it's very, like, silly, goofy nonsense. Um, it's probably also similar, and I haven't watched this one either. I've been meaning to. Um, probably also similar, though, to the Taika Waititi one that's taken off mm. um, Our Flag Means Death um, right. about pirates and nonsense. Oh, yes. Um, so there's also that. But and I, uh, I started watching A Murder at the End of the World, the new Oh, movie. yeah immediately hooked i mean okay. someone described it i i had saw that it was going to come out and then kind of forgot about it and then saw a tiktok and this this dude was like it's kind of like knives out meets girl with the dragon tattoo and i was like Old. oh i mean so yeah i was like 20 minutes i was like i'm gonna be so into this yeah it's coming out like they released two episodes and there so it's coming out like on a weekly basis and i was like kind of oh like old time tv 
I can't binge. It's definitely something. There's a, and there's also a brand new BritBox show. And I was like saying to Pete, I was like, I can't watch it because I'm going to watch it in like one sitting and then I'm not going to have a British procedural to watch. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Can I make you tell everybody about not what was your favorite show of the year, but what you've watched the most of? I've been watching. There's a show called Father Brown. (laughs) And it's definitely the deeper I've gotten into it. It's definitely it's a bit problematic. Maybe a bit. It's about a priest. Hasn't it been running for like 19 seasons or something? Yes. Like it's Um, crazy. So yeah, so obviously it's obviously, but it's it's kind of like the cozy. I would put it in like a cozy mystery uh, category where it's just kind of like nothing's that high stakes. It's the goofiest thing you've ever yeah. seen. It's like in the like, like old lady crime sort of category. Yes, it feels kind of like uh oh my god, what was the one my grandma used to watch? Like Murder She Wrote. Yes, or something. yes, yeah, yeah. I actually just learned that there's a spinoff. About a crime by nun. Oh my god! Who rides like a moped and makes wine? It's oh, of so course crazy. she does. So importantly, the father, the titular Father Brown, is played by none Arthur, none none Arthur, none other than the actor who plays Arthur Weasley, uh, in the Harry Potter films. So yeah. you've got Mister Weasley dressed as like a village priest, like an English village priest, and. They just like make no. Ex- I watched a couple episodes with Alex the last time I went to visit her and was like, "This is this is insane. Like it's this insane. is an insane show because I they make no excuses <laughs> for the fact that this priest just happens to be at the scene of every it's murder. Insane. Like they they never feel the need to explain it or like write it off in some way. Like he is just incidentally there and solving crimes. Yeah. It's so it's so funny and so crazy it's Um, crazy yeah there are some big yikes i mean it takes place in the 40s some big right (laughs) big yikes where you're like oh 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 can't even believe that this was made in like 2017 Uh, yeah yeah yeah, that that's 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 weighing down on me a little bit it's bogging me down but uh it's uh it's wild it's a wild one um so if you ever run out of options, so if, like you ever run out of, if you ever of- run out of, if you've ever, if you find yourself like me, having watched every British procedural <laughs> at the British bottom of TV, yeah. uh, they still make it. Yeah, <laughs> that that's nuts to me. That's so it's very British. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, there was just there was one episode. It's got to like, be made by old British people. It has sure. to. There's one episode where the girl who like works in the kitchens ends up joining a cult, has the full arc of like entering and leaving a cult in a like 52 minute episode. It's like a problematic little soap opera. <laughs> it's not interested in nuance, really. <laughs> like, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. crazy. Um, yeah. So. All right. Uh, other than that, what can I? What have I been watching lately? Truthfully, uh, Bachelor in Paradise. So mm, yeah, you know, you want to talk about problematic? It's I also mean, it's Thanksgiving, so I'm gonna probably watch every single Thanksgiving Bob's Burgers episode, <laughs> and then just go right into the Christmas Bob's Burgers. Episode, there we go. Which there are go. some of my favorite, as God yeah. intended. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for joining us here today. Um, Happy Thanksgiving Happy to Thanksgiving. one and all. Uh, I hope you're not too hungry. I hope you're going to eat soon. Um, enjoy your Thanksgiving yeah. dinners and uh, your extended Lions. families <laughs> and try not to get into any fights about politics or or do, but make sure oh, you yeah. really stand your ground. 
Um, Don't if you're going to get into a fight, don't lose. (laughs) Uh, Don't make for a great holiday. Yeah, that's good family advice, right? My my family doesn't really do that shit. Thankfully, Uh, Mm -hmm. we have not had one of those in in many moons. So bless. Um, Yeah, go loins. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you in a couple weeks to talk about whatever's going on then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Chaos and nonsense. Uh, You want to sign us off? Do we? Oh, yep. Love you. Cherish you. (laughs) No, that's that's the other one. Oh my God. Don't eat your friends. Don't eat your friends. Eat a turkey instead. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye.